If you are vulnerable to psychic damage from roguish language, stay away from these gibbering mouths. But if you intend on listening to this podcast about enriching your fantastical group hallucinations, you're too far gone already. Your next game is going to be wet and wild, and here's why. In this episode, we're finding answers to why is Shape Water one of the weirdest and most contentious spells? And how much can you really do with this hydromancy cantrip? And what watery splendors of evil can a GM conjure to throw at their players? Welcome to the Hook and Chance podcast. I'm Jordan. And I'm his brother, Travis. So we're here today to talk about the Shape of Water. The romantic uh, fish fucking movie. Exactly. Because that's all that would uh, come up when I would try to Google search shape water. Just nonstop articles about the shape of water. I learned a lot about it. <laughs> it's a wonderful movie. It's a truly a, a, a magical, different kind of movie that will forever be overshadowed by the fact that a woman has sex with a fish man in it. <laughs> yeah. From the perspective of someone that's only experienced it through Google image search, it really just seems perverse to me. Yeah, you gotta turn safe search on. <laughs> but shape water, the cantrip, as I learned after that deep dive, <laughs> is a pretty incredible spell. So incredible that it has the potential to break games if you're not careful with it. Well, and this is why a lot of DMs kind of tend to bring the hammer down hard on players that get weird with cantrips. Because, like you say, they can break a game. And some players tend to think that the best way to play D&D is to totally destroy it. <laughs> yeah. And find a way to make a cantrip suck the blood out of somebody's eyes or freeze their brain. And guess what? Guess what, problem players? If you do that, the game's over, you won, and I guess everyone goes home and stops playing the game. <laughs> you killed a crucial NPC <laughs> that your DM was relying on you getting some information from, but no, their brain is an icicle. Yeah. So in this episode, we're looking to find the best middle ground, a place where the spell is situational, fun as hell, but still doesn't negate any challenge completely because it's a cantrip. And a great starting point to this whole conversation is the fact that we're talking about water here it's in the name of the spell shape water and while i was on there google's dictionary function has a rather useful description it is the basis of the fluids of living organisms so to that argument of let me suck the blood out of my foes <laughs> this doesn't say it is the fluid of living organisms it is merely the basis of so my dreams of bending blood out of somebody's face holes is dead? Exactly. You cannot just dry them out like choosing the wrong Holy Grail does to Indiana Jones's enemies. <laughs> Horrifying. Well, we definitely feel that the desire to get hella game-breaking with shape water and hoping it is something more powerful or that it can really do some damage and things like that is really just a breakdown between the dance that the players and the DM does. Now, 
the players have to be open to using some of these cantrips really creatively because that's where they shine. And the DM has to make sure that water is available to those that have things like shape water. So adding those little details into your game is really, really important. And if we don't do this, then the discussion of shape water always devolves into some serious physics or biology discussions that brings the game to a screeching halt. Yeah. When we do this, the best case is we get away with some borderline fuckery that, like Jordan said, kind of breaks the game. At worst, you've made a name for yourself at the table and you and the DM don't get along anymore. You're probably not invited to the next game. All of the players are pissed off at you because you spent 30 minutes on Wolfram Alpha trying to figure out the mass and velocity of falling water rather than playing the game. And now everyone at the table cringes when you say the words, I cast shape water and you can't have <laughs> people over anymore because of the noise complaints you got after the shape water incident. I've seen it a hundred <laughs> times. But Travis, it's all in the name of science. <laughs> we can't just have fun and ignore science. Well, we're playing a fantasy game, so fuck yes, <laughs> I can. With that being said, let's hop into the kinship camp where we can talk about some of those great uses for shape water and what we can get it to do. This is Kinship Camp, where rich histories and diverse quirks are explored between weary adventurers around the safety of the fire. It is time for a spell recap so that we're all on the same page here. So Shapewater has a casting time of one action, a range of 30 feet, only somatic components, meaning all you really need to do to cast the spell is flip people off. <laughs> that can be your somatic gesture. Absolutely. Just flipping the bird. Yeah. I like it. Rudeness rules in the world of magic. Its duration is instantaneous, or one hour, depending on the spell effect. And here's the description. You choose an area of water that you can see within range and that fits within a five-foot cube. You manipulate it in one of the following ways. One, you instantaneously move or otherwise change the flow of water as you direct up to five feet in any direction. This movement doesn't have enough force to cause damage. Now that is a very important one to call out because this is the first place that players typically get stuck on thinking, yes, I can make it do damage for me. This is not a damage dealing spell. Yeah. And it says so right there. When you direct the water over somebody, it gives them a nice bath. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if your enemy is afraid of baths. Yeah. If they're a real dirt bag. Yeah. Real if nasty. Have a, an aversion to water. Maybe this could cause psychic damage. My uh, only weakness, water being around me. Number two, you cause the water to form into simple shapes and animate at your direction. This change lasts for one hour. What I love about that is that it means that our animation, whatever position we want to position the water in, it actually holds. It stays. Yeah. That's some wild shit right there. That provides endless role play fun. Number three, you can change the water's color or opacity. The water must be changed in the same way throughout. This change lasts for one hour. Any color, any opacity. That is a ton of flexibility. And finally, number four, you freeze the water provided that there are no creatures in it. The water unfreezes in one hour. As a jackass DM, you could 
easily say that no water is freezable because of bacteria. Science rules. (laughs) There's living things in it. (laughs) Unless when you shape water, you're only shaping the water itself. And thus, it is 100% pure water. (laughs) You just left a sticky mess of bacteria on the floor. I don't know what that looks like. Gross. Weird. (laughs) Is it gross? I don't know. But that last one has a lot of potential, too, that we're going to get into. Moving on. If you cast this spell multiple times, you can have no more than two of its non-instantaneous effects active at a time, and you can dismiss such an effect as an action. Now, as with other spell episodes that we've done, let's get into some creative uses. But first, let's acknowledge what it can't do. Because again, like we said, every player gets this spell and they first figure out how they can make it kill someone or do something (laughs) that the spell can't actually do. So as we've already said, you can't pull the water out of somebody. You can't see the water in someone's body. So Most DMs will not let you get away with this. Besides that, it's also not anywhere close to being water. It's blood. (laughs) That's blood. That's blood. (laughs) You can't levitate a cube of it and freeze and crush someone. That's, again, another one of the first spots that people kind of go to. Can you make this five-foot cube levitate? Well, what I really like about this is that it's five by five, and for me, it seems like it's not much of a mental leap to say that the water has to support itself on the ground. Yeah. Like, that's why you can kind of shape the water, because it is still making contact with the ground. It's just kind of standing on top of itself. You're giving it a little bit of structure, magical structure. You're manipulating the flow of the water here. You're not making it raise up 20 feet above the ground. Exactly. Plus, I've seen the argument that you could freeze somebody's head in it or something like that and suffocate them that way and that counts as being in the water and i would say that that counts as a creature being in the water as you're trying to freeze it so that is out of the question and it can't be larger than five by five which means that if somebody's six feet tall you're gonna have a hard time drowning them (laughs) also that whole like oh yeah i'm gonna move the cube onto them and drown them the thing is is that you can only move this water five feet per turn yeah which means that good luck keeping up with them because i don't know about you but as soon as my head goes underwater i don't just give up immediately (laughs) you you just go limp and (laughs) let the water flow into your lungs you've foiled me so yeah our recommendation stop trying to make it murder people it's a cantrip And where cantrips are really good is in peppering into your game as flavor. There is so much that can be done with this spell. So what this and other spells are really great for, and this is why Jordan and I tend to talk a lot about cantrips and do episodes about cantrips, is because they provide the maximum amount of role playability. If you think about it, Fireball is a ball of fire. It's kind of right there in the name. It's pretty self-explanatory creatively, mechanically, and situationally. There's not much creative freedom with a giant ball of fire. (laughs) There's one thing you can do with it, and that thing is wonderful, but it doesn't need us talking about it. But Shape Water has a lot more ambiguity, and this can become a core spell. If your character uses it thematically to interact with their world, 
This can be a constant. You could be interacting with everything via Shape Water because it's a cantrip, it's free, and it has so much potential. It can define your character. It can add so much to their personality. So before we again jump into some of the ideas, because I was never very good at math. Agreed. And I struggle with understanding. I need some visual reference. I need some point of reference to understand what the capacity is for crafting and shaping this water. So come on over with me to the math corner, Jordan. Let's go. Now we're going over to the math corner. Oh no, we're going deep. Now we're in the math corner. Why are we being quiet? Is it bad to talk about math? Well, this is this is the sad place where I struggle with math. <laughs> I see. Okay, I'm going to give up all the theatrics. <laughs> all right, so how much water can we shape? So we're going to make reference to a couple of different spells. One of them that I think can be used with shape water or that you could maybe use in conjunction is create food and water. And create food and water is another one of those spells that allows you to actually create from nothing, whereas shape water is shaping the water that exists in the space. There's water nearby. Now, create food and water can create 30 gallons of water. How much is that? Well, it's four cubic feet of water. Still oh. stuck in math land. Yeah, I, okay. So we need we need something that I can reference that I've experienced in my life. So that's a washing machine full. It's roughly about 250 pounds. That's the standard washing machine. All right. 250 pounds is also my weight after an extra large Domino's pizza. <laughs> yeah, it adds a little uh, girth and weight, hey? <laughs> a little bit of heft. <laughs> okay. So now, as another point of reference, a bathtub full of water is about 80 gallons. So double and a bit of a washing machine full. That is 10 cubic feet of water. Now that, because water is so dense and heavy, is creeping up on 700 pounds of water. All right, so we're up to a bathtub. I can picture that, I can get in that. Now shape water can move a five by five by five cube, maximum. Anything that can fit within that shape or up to the maximum, a full five-foot cube of water. Now that's 935 gallons. We took a massive jump from 80 <laughs> yep. to 935. So that's 125 cubic feet of water, which weighs 8,750 pounds, roughly. That's a lot of bathtubs. Well, again, as a point of reference, that's a Cadillac Escalade full of clowns. Did you do the math on those clowns' weight? Roughly. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I was struggling to find a point of reference. A Cadillac Escalade was as close as I could get, but I needed a little bit of extra weight. So, yeah, clowns. Now let's get into the fun stuff. Let's talk about the different applications. And we're going to go through a couple of different, I don't know, areas. Well, let's start with just simple role play. Genres of uses, if you will. <laughs> So I love that this spell is just somatic. It offers so much. There's no material components and there's no verbal components to it. You're just waving your hands. 
Really, if this fits with your character, you can be directing water like an orchestra conductor. Mock the cleric by mimicking their movements with a smaller shape. You're just constantly moving water. You can make little characters dance around. You can do yeah. all kinds of stuff like that. Water is your fidget spinner. <laughs> it's the coin that dances across your fingers or things like that. Yeah. You could be animating your thoughts, your internal dialogue. You could be unconsciously doing Ooh, this. Ooh, I like that. As you're walking around working through the plan in your head, there is something that is telegraphing what you're thinking your on the ground. or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Juicy. I always like doing this with little illusion type spells, but when you're creating the strategy, you're working out the plan with a watery battle map. Yeah, it's moving and shifting like the the super high-tech CG battle maps that yeah. are in like future <laughs> movies. So this is the tower that we're going to break into and then it just projects the 3D model of it. Yeah. You can do that with shape water. <laughs> Why not? What if you have always been envious of the other party member that has a pet or a familiar? Yeah, or again, just mocking them. <laughs> <laughs> you could make your own pet or familiar out of shape water. Yeah. You could just have this thing that follows you around. And the best part is it doesn't have to be a normal animal. That can be a, a chicken duck. <laughs> Wait, that's the dumbest combination. A cat duck, rather. That's what you do with that? <laughs> with the limitless possibilities of animal configurations, you go with a chicken duck. Yeah, two birds. Good times. <laughs> of course, you can ice man this stuff up. You can chill drinks, stay cool in hot environments with an uh, icy towel. Because you mm. always bring a towel. <laughs> yep, always bring a towel. Well, you don't even need a towel. You could just wick water off of your body if mm. you were ever to be wet. Onto your friends. If you've got some kind of a you know playful antagonistic relationship with your party members, you can even do a icy spit wad. <laughs> <laughs> just tossing ice cubes down the back of their shirt. Yeah. <laughs> Who needs a bathtub when you have a cube of water? Oh, you're saying to to refresh. Yeah, you just summon a cube of water around you, yeah. and it goes right up to your neck. <laughs> Everyone else goes into the river, and you pull yeah. the water to you. Why not? That's a flex. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it doesn't do much for privacy. Everyone's going to see you kind of bathing above ground, which is weird. Yeah, unless you're an exhibitionist. Or you simply use its secondary ability and turn it black yeah or just make it opaque now you're just a strange person bathing in a black cube <laughs> above ground you look like you're locked into a block of obsidian that's an npc i need to throw into a travel adventure just like what is this mysterious black cube somebody po pops their head out hey get out of here <laughs> <laughs> i want my party to come across just a black cube on the ground with a head sticking out of it and yeah. their eyes closed and they go oh god what horrible torturous punishment is this this person's been and then they just wake up and say do you mind <laughs> i am taking a bath <laughs> passed out in the bathtub now since every player wants to use this offensively let's talk about the limited ways that you could potentially use this to do damage Without taking like 15 turns to put your master plan into effect. <laughs> so again, this doesn't allow for damage by moving the water or ice into somebody's space. There's more powerful spells that do that. 
And that's one of the considerations when you, as a GM, you're trying to figure out what to allow or not to allow. If there is another spell that they're trying to replicate with this cantrip, that usually means the cantrip cannot do it. Well, and specifically with spells like Wall of Ice, while technically you could make a five by five by five foot wall of water and then freeze it into ice, the Wall of Ice spell makes 10 10 by 10 by one panels and you can cut through your enemy's space and it does damage and it does damage if you walk through the space where the wall was like it just goes out of control. And that's why that's a sixth level spell. Yeah. But what you could do when you're in a pinch is you could create some ice daggers, you know, little sharp icicles. Granted, you're probably not going to be proficient with ice daggers. Yeah. But in a pinch, when the wizard's the only one still standing and they're all out of spells, this is the time to conjure some ice daggers and go out in a blaze of glory. Yeah. Or, you know, in those classic you've been imprisoned situations and all your tools and weapons are taken away. Oh, nothing wrong with a little ice dagger. Yeah. If that guard gives you a little water and all of a sudden you've got a prison shank. (laughs) And I mean, it really doesn't stop there as far as weaponry. You probably can't make like an ice hammer because that's just not going to do as much damage as a metal hammer. But (laughs) it's probably going to (laughs) shatter. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, you can make spears or other thrown projectiles. And like that riddle goes, the murder weapon is simply going to disappear in an hour. Yeah. No trace left behind. <laughs> Victimless crime. Nope, there was a victim. <laughs> God damn it, there was a victim. Well, what about snowballs? If you're just being playful. Yeah. I can't imagine a DM is going to rule that these snowballs can do much damage at all. <laughs> yeah, unless you put a rock in them. Ooh, or a flask of alchemist fire there we go i mean you could also just throw the rock or the flask so this isn't a great offensive ability fair enough but if i were going to a party at some kind of ice palace okay and a snowball would be a no we're going too deep (laughs) this is going off the rails this isn't the game that you're playing at the table this is the game that you're playing in your head (laughs) yes but If you amplify the size of those snowballs, then we might be able to do something interesting. I mean, this is still a little situational, but you've got the potential of a five by five orb of ice or snow rolling down a hillside. That might do something. Yeah, I would probably rule that that would do some damage. Yeah, because it's not really the ice that's, you know, you're not moving that ice into somebody's space. It's gravity that's kind of taken over at that point. Yeah. Same thing with like ice spears. You could throw it. It's not going to do as much damage as say a metal javelin will. Yeah. But it might do something. Talk to your DM about stuff like that. It's creative gameplay and it's really not doing anything game breaking. So, well, a suggestion from one of our patrons, Hey Dare Lila, she reminds us that if a ship were equipped with a catapult or a trebuchet, or again with those ice spears, a ballista. Yeah. You might be able to have an unlimited amount of ammo. Yeah, totally. I mean, those big ass warships with 40 cannons on one side have to store those metal heavy ass balls somewhere. That's weighing you down. Now your ship can move fast. 
glide furiously through the seas <laughs> and immediately fire a huge volley of snowballs. It's kind of playful, really. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> okay, so what about defensively? Well, I think the first thing that comes to mind is using that color or opacity to blind any foes that have water between you and them. Like if somebody's hiding in the water, if you're fighting some fish people, this is going to be really useful. You need to make a dodgy escape. You dive into the lake and turn it black. Yeah. People yeah. are firing their arrows at you. Well, speaking of, it's very easy to dive into water for cover, but what if you could bring the cover to you? Okay. This is, I think, one of my favorites because Mythbusters did a whole episode on how high-velocity projectiles just disintegrate. That whole myth of like the hero diving into the water and bullets whizzing past them. Yeah. Turns out that bullets just disintegrate after about a foot and a half. Yeah, that's some wild stuff. Now, lower-velocity things tend to go through water pretty easily. However, you can freeze that water. So if you need to make cover and half, partial, or full cover adds a lot of AC. Yeah, that's huge in a fight. It's honestly game-changing when it comes to those big battles. So remember to use cover when you can, but shape water now all of a sudden brings cover wherever you need it to because I, as a DM, don't always remember to put in features like <laughs> cover into my battle maps. As long as you got some water nearby, you're golden. And on that kind of uh, shield train, I think you could pretty easily justify at least a one-hit shield shaped from ice. Like, you just take a bit of the water, turn it into ice, yeah. hold it in front of you. Sure, why not? Unless you're fighting, like, a giant or something like that. Well, another one of our patrons, Leprechaun, says, if you want to slow someone down from getting to your goodies, just encase it in ice for an hour. Are you worried about your gold stash? Yeah. Or like a powerful MacGuffin that you don't want the baddie to get their hands on? That'll slow them down just a little bit, unless they have shatter. And then Hey Dare Lila pops back in with another idea. Uh, creating slippery surfaces. If you've got an enemy or a group charging at you, all you need is a bucket of water. Throw it down, turn it into ice, and you've got a comedic scene where they're all slipping around, trying to hold <laughs> each other up. That really took all the drama out of <laughs> charging orcs, yeah. brandishing weapons. Now they're slipping around like they're the Three Stooges. Yeah. And then we go back to the open seas where Leprechaun again suggests throwing some ice down in naval combat or chases. I mean, imagine a massive wave popping up in front of a ship or a five foot cube of ice that you can even design with some spikes or something to tear into the hull of a ship. Oh, hell yeah. That cannot be good for the wood. What about tools for overcoming situations or obstacles? Well... Yeah, this spell is super handy for that because of its ability to make ice. I mean, you can make almost any simple tool out of ice that might function for at least a little bit. Again, like you were saying, with the weapons, you might not be proficient in them, but it's better than nothing in a pinch. You could create a temporary boat. Yeah, I mean, it can be five by five, and that's a big enough chunk of ice to hold at least a few party members, as long as you're not playing you know, elephant folk or something like that. <laughs> and it'll last for an hour down the river. If you're trying to cross some kind of a body of water, you can make a slow and steady ice bridge. You can push away the water around your head if you need a scuba suit. Yeah. Someone was polite enough on the interwebs to calculate that 
you'd have about 24 minutes of breathing time. And if you're looking at more of an industrial purpose, maybe the DM, think about the fact that uh, peoples could transport water by forming rolling balls of ice. Then we get into my favorite category of uses, which is trickery. I mean, just consider what you can do with that colored or opaque water. You can make water appear very diseased all of a sudden. Give it a green sickly color and mess with people that way. Flood an area. Add water to it so you can hear people approaching from outside the door of their feet splashing. Yep. If you want somebody to think that you hold a deadly poison, you can color it a vibrant glowing green like poisons always (laughs) apparently look. That's the signal. I mean, yeah, that's a good point. You could color anything in a vial and claim that it's whatever potion or poison you want it to be. You could trick enemies into thinking you are a more powerful wizard than you might be. Maybe you tell them you can summon water elementals and make a (laughs) nasty looking shape appear. (laughs) A little angry water elemental. (laughs) I mean, a five foot water elemental is not nothing. And Leprechaun threw this one into the mix. You want to embarrass somebody in a social situation? Screw with their drink. Make them look like a child unable to take a proper sip. <laughs> Constantly pushing the drink out the side of their mouth. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. And now consider if you have multiple people in the party that can cast shape water. Now all of a sudden, you can conjure the water and freeze the water in the same turn. You could consider, and again, this is up to DM discretion, but you could consider joining some of these spell effects. So creating water and electrocution if you have another caster in the party. You can do all kinds of different things with this. Douse some flames, get creative, get inspired, yeah, and try to use this as situationally as possible and as much as possible. It can do so much. And a note for people running these games. We've touched on this, but remember, you're there to facilitate fun. So make sure that you're describing these water features if you know that somebody in the group has this ability. Do not shy away from it. Give them a chance to shine. I mean, remember, Aquaman is just a dude when there's no water around. (laughs) You gotta let him shine. Yeah. So maybe what you're suggesting is that DMs check their other players in D&D Beyond and check what kind of spells they have access to. Yeah. And if you really want your water shaper to thank you, give them the decanter of endless water, the magic item that just keeps on spewing it out. It's actually pretty powerful on its own. 30 gallons per round. Yeah. As we've discussed, that's a lot of gallons and you can do a lot with that water. Exactly. Well, hopefully you got something out of that conversation. Let us know how you're going to use shape water in your next game. And now let's head over to Lamashu's Breeding Pit so we can cater to the DMs of this side of the equation. This is Lamashtu's Breeding Pit, where the most vile and deadly of creatures are birthed and unleashed upon doomed adventurers. Okay, so I know that we're bending the rules a little bit on what constitutes a Lamashtu's Breeding Pit. Typically, we talk about a monster and we try to beef it up or make it more deadly or something like that. But after a conversation with our friend the GM Tim, he reminded us that sometimes a DM has to consider the environment itself as the monster. 
Yes. It adds so much to your combats and your games when you do this. So that got us thinking, how does an evil lair change and become more deadly and dangerous with the availability of shape water? Now, in these scenarios, we can kind of assume that the monster, the baddie that we're going to use, has the ability to access shape water. If it doesn't, does it have underlings or servants of some kind that know how to cast shape water? Does it have multiples? Does it have a team of six water shapers? <laughs> now we're getting dangerous. So with a little bit of preparation on this layer, this layer can have wall spikes wherever the hell we want. Yeah. When you combine that with a floor that becomes slippery, well, then you can shove adventurers into walls of ice spikes. And not just slippery, but like put your floors and traps at angles. And now adventurers are making decks and athletics checks left, right, and center to avoid all of these deadly traps. And if you want to give them a chance to spot it, then you just give the ice in front of a trap a little bit of a twinge of color to it. Kind of like in video games. It's like there's something off about that wall. You make them roll a perception or something like that. Yeah. Well, on that note, you can throw pit traps wherever you want and cover it with a thin sheet of ice that will break through as soon as somebody steps on it. Totally. And I vote that some of these, you even turn into proper layer actions, like the abilities that the baddie has and on top of their regular abilities. Yeah. Make these things spring out. Well, what if you hid enemies like a second round? Like we kind of discussed in our episode with mapmaker Gabriel Picard, combats become that much better when they have multiple stages. You've got an enemy and they're at full health, they're going to behave differently than they are at half health. So what if you actually had a whole bunch of minions who were encased in effigies that players might just assume are frozen, you know, statuettes or something like that. But really, it's a just a thin layer, and they're ready to break out when the big bad gives the word. Nice. And you know what I would put in those effigies? Because obviously, like, a human is going to just fall out when the ice breaks because they're dead because they're frozen. Alchemist fire. <laughs> put alchemist fire in them? Oh, yeah. Oh. Then you have a one-hour ticking bomb. Ah, gotcha, gotcha. They'll just explode on... As soon as the ice melts and it makes contact with the air, yeah, it explodes. Nice. I was going to suggest throwing some ice methods in there. Ooh. I mean, that's very thematic yeah. to this ice layer that we're crafting. I think they'd make great minions. They're flying around. They've got their icy breath. They've got the ability to make fog. That's really going to change the dynamics whenever you need it to. Just to be clear, my idea of encasing a minion inside of an ice effigy, it's implied that there are air holes. I didn't just suffocate <laughs> them within their own sarcophagi. Less intimidating when they just <laughs> fall out <laughs> limply. <laughs> this, this ice method needs CPR is that. <laughs> All of a sudden, the adventurers start giving <laughs> CPR to every one of the minions in the boss's lair. I knew I was forgetting something, the boss says. <laughs> Air holes. All right, so let's think about the actual location of the showdown. 
I think to to make it super usable and dynamic, it's got to take place somewhere in super shallow water that maybe even is draining out of the room, but with water pumping in Ooh, as well. So there's, yeah. you know, you got to have water all over the place. Yeah, there's got to be little drips. There's got to be some small waterfalls, like yeah. to say the ground. Yeah, got it. Some icy caves would suit this well, but, you know, if you want them to be in a, a perfectly crafted ice castle, that's pretty rad too. And with that, and with their, you know, low-level wizard minions that could be casting shape water all the time, you've got a lot you can do in that room. They can create ice rinks in a single turn, creating a dexterity challenge for everybody. Oh, yeah. They could make the entire room a wave pool by causing those that thin layer of water to swell and knock people around. Yeah, knocking them into those potential traps. They could perhaps easily control the movements of the party if they're creating icy obstacles and walls. They're almost creating a maze as you're trying to get across it to face your foe. Yeah. They can even add to the ambiance and create some mood lighting. <laughs> like in that scene in The Rise of Skywalker where the red equals bad guy fight scene. <laughs> I I just I love the idea of a villain that cares so much about his combats that he wants to really add some ambiance to it. <laughs> I mean, Snope did. Why else would he have red lighting ringing the entire room? Go, uh, fair enough. Yeah, <laughs> he's just into the ambiance. He was it. an early investor in Philips Hughes. Yeah. Check out my color-changing bulbs. You want green? I can do green. <laughs> Have you seen my lair? It can be red. It can be green. I kind of dig red. <laughs> That's kind of my jam. It's kind of like the dark side thing. <laughs> I don't really want to go against that or I'll get in trouble from the higher-ups. Yeah. If it was blue, they would think I was a Jedi, <laughs> so I can't do that. I mean, the Emperor would come down to me. Oh, you didn't know? Oh, shoot. I wasn't supposed to say anything about the Emperor. You didn't get our branding and color package? Ah. <laughs> uh. You're not even using the right font. Anyways, anyways, back to D&D off of Star Wars. I think another thematic foe that you could add to this fight if you needed to beef it up is a water elemental to mess around with. I mean, you could change that thing just a bit and make it able to just kind of disappear into the watery floor. I think a water elemental is actually great for someone who has the cantrip shape water because this is one of those things where you could potentially rule in favor of the player being able to freeze yeah. an, a water elemental in its tracks. Yeah. That being said, if we add a lot of water elementals to a particular combat, because shape water is an action to cast, the caster can only freeze so many water elementals. Yeah. And so this puts them in a really advantageous position but doesn't necessarily save the day. Those water elementals can still do a lot of damage to the rest of the party and position that one player with this simple cantrip as the hero of this moment. Exactly. That's their moment to shine. And something that I have to bring up that I think would be great for this environment is an ice volcano. Okay. Now, you might be thinking, oh, yeah, silly fantasy idea, ice volcano. Sure, why not? but they're actually real. I've not seen an ice volcano in my entire life. <laughs> That's fair. Let me tell you why. Because they were originally observed on Triton, Neptune's largest moon, by the Voyager 2. But some science folks have recently discovered that Pluto, 
the poor little planet that wasn't had some too. <laughs> wow. These are formations that closely resemble Earth volcanoes anyways. And there's at least some fun theories about what these ice volcanoes uh, would be capable of. So the one on Pluto is called Bright Mons, and it's four kilometers tall. To give you some reference, Everest is about 8.8, .8, so that's a pretty damn big volcano. Holy shit. And the idea is that eruptions of ice beneath the surface could cause slush lava, essentially. Holy fuck. Which I love. That is terrifying. <laughs> and imagine how useful that is in D&D. &D. Like, you can make it as cold, as damaging as you want. Well, it goes up into the atmosphere and as it falls back down to Earth, the air cools it into ice spikes. Yeah. And now you've got raining daggers. <laughs> That's a bummer. And now you need that person in the party that can cast shape water to create a nice dome and freeze it as some manner of shielding against these ice daggers. Yeah, a little ice umbrella. And if you got this flowing through the fight scene like any good lava, then the water shapers can use this colder water, this super slush, to actually do some cold damage. Now it's being used by both sides, becomes a dynamic part of the fight, throw people in the slush river. They're causing it to solidify so that they can get across these dangerous obstacles. Yeah. And at the very least, you've got a more deadly snowball fight going on. <laughs> the deadliest of <laughs> snowball fights. And just to close it off, you know that your villain in this scenario has to be based on Mr. Freeze. No, it really does not. Oh, what's that, Travis? You want some ice puns? No, I don't. Here's one. Let's <laughs> kick some ice. No, no. Uh, we struck that movie from the record. I demand justice for Mr. Freeze. <laughs> <laughs> you really want Arnold Schwarzenegger's Mr. Freeze again, huh? <laughs> I want him to come back in this next Batman movie as like an old haggard Mr. Freeze, <laughs> but he's still doing the ice puns. He's seen some shit. He's got some scars. He's missing one <laughs> eye, but he still loves his puns. In this super gritty Batman. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Well, thank you so much to all of our patrons who helped create this episode and gave us some ideas and chimed in. They did that on Discord, where we get a lot of uh, conversations going in our private patron-only writer's room channel. So big thanks to I See Spiders Where There Are None, Chris F., The Senate, Lucas D., Lila G., The GM Tim, Nevermore, Thomas W., Ty N., Heavy Arms, Eric R., Aldrust, Leprechaun, and Will HP. Thank you all so much. We love you deeply. You're the most wonderfulest of folks. Thanks also to Tabletop Audio for the sound effects you heard in this episode. You can follow us at Hook and Chance on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Reddit. Join that community of players and DMs on our Discord where you're going to get some good ideas. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening. listening and and in this world, games. there is only one absolute. Everything freezes. <laughs> That's so stupid. That is just nonsense. It's got nothing to do with Mr. Freeze. <laughs> or is accurate at all over the situation. <laughs>